Well, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Passports and Poets. I am Dr. Chick Morgan, the Cowgirl PhD, along with Rodney Bercio, the photographer-in-chief. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about because we have a very special guest today who many of you heard on our last second to last podcast. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll be about a month ago. Yeah. Mr. James Mwenda. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was just on recently, but uh, we've got very special circumstances. Yeah, because so the last we're time we're taking advantage of it. Last <laughs> time I was talking to the two of you in Kenya. Rodney had gone to Kenya. Now we've got James in our studio. Yeah. And who would have dreamed that was going <laughs> to happen? How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah, two two months ago we were in Kenya doing this, and now we're in Texas doing it all over. So. Well, Rodney, that just proves we're never satisfied with what we just did, even though we have no idea how to do it. <laughs> But we want to welcome you because Passports and Poets is about conversations about the power of place, mm-hmm. the places that change us, and why it matters. And I can't think of any better group of people to be sitting around some microphones to talk about those three things. So, yeah. so James, we've had um, just an amazing, not even week. This is... Yeah, when uh, yeah, it's, I picked you up Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Saturday and and the world's scope of the calendar we're now in Thursday. And since then you and Rodney uh and Basecamp Gallery, which we talk a lot about on this podcast, hosted an amazing event called Karambe. Harambe. Harambe. And in Kenya, James, that means um coming together coming for together. a common good, yeah. And we certainly did. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I neglected to say that James is the global ambassador for the old, um, old Paheha. Pa- See, I, yeah. <laughs> now I know why you wanted him to say because I want right. to say Pajeta, old yeah. Pajeta. Yeah, yeah, you have it right Conservancy. Now. And we, we, uh, you heard a lot about the uh, conservation of the northern white rhino and about Sudan and so why don't we talk just a minute about this fabulous event, uh, Rodney, that Basecamp um, put on for, and James for the community here and those lucky enough to attend in person. Yeah, it was, uh, this whole thing has been a whirlwind and I still can't believe we pulled it off. But <laughs> yeah, it's, um, and I, honestly, I don't even remember how this all first started. I never asked you that. I I mean, looking back, I don't even know. All of a sudden it was there and it it was coming in three weeks or something. Yeah, it just happened. Well, and, you know, Natalie was a big part of that because I'm the master procrastinator. (laughs) And I was like, oh, we need at least six months to plan this. And she's like, no, we're doing it in three weeks. (laughs) That's why Natalie's good. (laughs) Yeah, we... um, yeah, we. I mean, that was always the the plan with with base camp was when I would get back from my travels to come back and present my new photos and then have you know have this grand event and right with the the other than the photos the you know the things that I would find like this trip you know we brought back jewelry and spears and just all kind of things that we got from the villages stunning and, yeah, yeah we got some really great stuff and. And just create a cultural experience and to, you know, bring, try and bring as much of that back, um, not just physical stuff, but, you know, the the stories and education and, you know, just bring this to 
to the people. And when, uh, <clears throat> when we first started, I guess, talking about this and, you know, James was the, the first person that I thought of that I wanted to bring over to be a part of this. And, you know, he's got so much going on right now. And when I called him to see, you know, what are you doing on you know, this, this week? And he's like, well, I'm actually free. That never uh, happens. Yeah. <laughs> Except and, in a pandemic. Yeah, he, had, <laughs> he had just finished a, a guy or a tour and he's got another one as soon as he gets back, mm. but he just happened to be open this week. And I said, well, do you want to come to Texas? And he was like, sure. So yeah, we, um, and of course that was all pretty crazy and chaotic. He calls me from the airport. He's supposed to be leaving in like, what, an hour and a half, two hours. And yeah, two hours, yeah. Yeah, it's like, they won't let me on the plane because I'm flying through Europe and because of COVID, it's not allowed. So fortunately, it was on Lufthansa and his the gate agent helped him find another flight through a completely different airline. And different and country. Different country. <laughs> different continent. <laughs> and, and got him here three hours later than oh, wow. he was supposed to be. And wow. yeah, and at the time, Natalie and I are both, we had two computers and two phones and iPads and we're just doing this, trying to figure out anything we could to get here. And, and he's, and he was here. Well, as I say, so. if it, if it were easy, anybody could do it. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. but you all really pulled this off. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a great event. You know, we still had our, our, um, our hiccups, but, but it was Harambe. We all came together it was, and it was and a beautiful made night. It, made it happen. And I know that we spent um, an entire episode talking about you and the work that you do and uh, the conservancy and your work as a global ambassador, but would you mind taking just a couple of minutes and remind our listeners that uh, either missed it the first time around or would love to hear it again. Tell us, tell us who you are and what you're passionate about and, and kind of why you're here and why we just love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... I, you know, I was born in Kenya in a, in a small village just below the slopes of Mount Kenya. And um, growing up there, we had some certain level of conflicts with elephants that would come and, um, and you, know, you know, hit our farms away and kind of destroy everything that was in the farm. You know, months and months of hard work would just be put into a halt one night when elephants came and raided everything. And so I dreamt of being a conservationist when I was young, seven years. And um, I pushed this dream uh, forward um, and, and I ended up finding myself working in this amazing uh, conservancy in Kenya called Olpegeta Conservancy. And then when I went to work there, I was pursuing this dream I had when I was a young boy. Actually wanted to go and learn how to deal with animals and then come back to the village to help the village. And, and my dream was answered by when the government fenced off our area and elephants could no longer come to the village. So I committed myself now to working in Opegeta, which really was a critical job, uh, being a ranger for two years, and then a caretaker of the Northern White Rhinos. I think um, the Northern White Rhinos, we all know are the most embattled species of rhinos presently on the planet. So for the last um, 10 years or so, I've been a ranger working now on the front lines and um, uh, looking after these northern white rhinos. And, um, you know, last year, uh, no, actually this year, sorry, I decided to step down and um, 
kind of start something different uh, because uh, of the emotional toll, the, the, the career of being there with the last remaining Northern White Rhinos ahead on me. Yeah, you've, you've been through a lot in those six years with what you've experienced. And I don't know if you want to touch on, on that, what, you know, what that, what that experience was, you know, had the, cause yeah, with the, when, when you left, we're down to, to two mm -hmm. female Northern white rhinos. Mm -hmm. And when you started, how many? Yeah, they were around um, seven when I started to mm -hmm. work with the Northern white rhinos, uh, which four wine, uh, you know, Pegeta Conservancy. And the other three, two were in Czech Republic, and the other one was in San Diego Zoo in the, here in the States. And, um, you know, there was so much hope. I mean, the reason why they were brought back to Africa, actually, they came from a zoo in Czech Republic before I came and worked with them in 2009, was to see uh, whether the essence of bringing them back home would help them to, you know, mate and have young ones. And so fast forward, the, the three die out, those that are in the zoo, and then we have the four. Then one morning I'm going to check them in the morning. Actually, I was heading to do a patrol in the morning and I'm passing through the enclosure where Sunni, the second last male, was. And I'm seeing him sleeping in a very abnormal posture. Um, and um, I could not really comprehend. I wasn't so experienced to know whether that was kind of a sleeping way, rhino sleeper sometimes, but I was my first instinct was something is not okay. So I went close, uh, touched him, his body was cold. I called my team leader and told him like, I don't know what I'm seeing here, please come and help. And they came together with the team and um, he was dead. He kind of uh, passed uh, in the night. It was just natural. It, it was, was natural, of course, yeah. yeah. How old was he? He was uh, 34 years. Yeah. So that's young. Yeah, that's young, that's young, yeah. And then we were left with um, Sudan, who was the last surviving male northern white rhino, um, who later also died in 2018 um, from old age-related complications. Um, you know, he, he had grown old, he got an infection on his right hand leg, uh, got to a point where he could hardly move, and at uh, some point we had to come into making this decision to put him to sleep. Uh, because it was so much pain and there was no hope of him ever getting mm -hmm. back again. He wasn't responding to treatment. And, um, you know, in my age as a young person, I've really been conflicted by the happenings, you know. Um, uh, I couldn't really comprehend that um, I was there witnessing, you know, a species um, going to extinction. I didn't know, uh, I wasn't there when it was happening. I wasn't born in the 1970s. Sometimes I failed to believe it was true that we have the last one, or like maybe there's some left there, you know? But you, given this responsibility to oversight our species walking down the road of extinction, um, I stopped seeing it as a career where I would just give the rhinos carrots and pellets and go home and sleep and then wake up again in the morning. I am this person who has to think about what I'm doing and invest my heart and my my soul and my mind into anything that I'm doing. And, and I was invested in these rhinos. I wanted to know what happened. Um, I wanted to know what I can do better. I wanted to know how I can help that other rhinos don't face the same. And I was 
busy trying to get all these answers and I found myself now really, really trying to work hard to, you know, talk about this, tell people about this. But then eventually uh, it ended into an emotional roller coaster because every morning, every day, I was waking up to see these animals. And then uh, the unfoldings of events, I think you watched in the film, um, you know, watching the scientists, you know, um, doing their final bed, trying to extract anything they could get from what is labeled the last surviving male or the water I know. It's not something you just take lightly. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it, there's so much weight in that. I mean, we are talking about of a, a species being uh, into extinction and now going to the complex science that we're trying to use to save them. Um, it's another aspect. It's like, we are going now further beyond maybe to atone what you've done. And all these things get running into your mind every single day and you have to talk about them every day and you have to go out and meet these rhinos every day and you have to look them in the eyes and tell them, girls, I'm sorry for what we did to you. Maybe you're trying to do the best we can, but then um, that's the hope that you really kind of have to relieve, you know, a certain to them. So... This really took an emotional toll that I really didn't know, you know, it was passionate with all of that, but then I didn't know it was at some extent affecting me. Um, and it was sometimes making me a sad person because all I have to talk is about extinction, is about climate crisis that is going on and on and on. And that's why um, that experience led me to kind of making this decision that maybe I need a break so that then mm -hmm. I can kind of um, uh, take a breather and then refocus again. And I'm happy that now what I'm doing is in line to even helping speak about them yeah. in different capacities. Yeah, James, I'd like yeah. to... Oh, go ahead. Uh, you mentioned briefly uh, the film, mm -hmm. and I just want to be sure that our listeners know what this film is in case they have an opportunity to catch it. That was another wonderful event that Basecamp sponsored just last night. It's a full-length documentary about Sudan and, and exactly what you're talking about. And what just gripped my heart was the connection, uh, exactly what you're talking about, the impact, the emotional impact on the rangers and the caretakers and these beautiful animals. Would you mind talking just briefly about the film and naming it? So yeah. hopefully they'll look for it because even though we'd talk to you and Rodney had talked to me about his time with you. It, yeah. it really brought so much of what you're talking about together uh, for me. Yeah, I mean, um, the film is called Kifaru. Um, it's K-I-F-A-R-U. Yes. Which is? Which means rhino in Swahili. Well, that would have been my first guess. Wouldn't that be yours? <laughs> yeah, so um, Swahili is on, you know, the national language in Kenya. Um, and, and this film came about um, when, when I met this um, young, you know, I will call him a young man from Raleigh. He was working on a different project in Operator Conservancy. And they came to, do, to visit the rhinos. Um, and he really, really was invested about the story. I think he wasn't just any other ordinary person who wanted to come and take the content and go. I think he was really invested in what uh, would literally go all about the rhinos. And we, we met in a corner somewhere. Actually, circumstances were not allowing me to meet him that day because my boss was very strict on me that mm -hmm. day. 
they had told me I don't want you to be around this place. So he had he had heard me speak somewhere, and he really really was committed to speak to me because they were there for a few days. And he said like I, I need to I need to meet James, and we met in a corner hiding somewhere because I was <laughs> uh, had to hide from my boss. Um, and he told me that he's thinking of making a film about you know Sudan, you know his legacy and and what he represented in terms of um species extinction because he was kind of um the red light warning to why we need to act urgently about what's going on on the planet there was need to document the last remaining male northern white rhino because no one else had documented it and and showcases to the people to the world and tell the people and show the people this rhino struggling until its last day and so that maybe this can uh, trigger people and awaken us to kind of realize that something is not going okay. So that's how the ideal of the film did. It was to honor Sudan and to give him a legacy and maybe to educate the future generations by when they watch it to understand that extinction is not um, this abstract you know, idea. It's not just a definition that um, we normally have that species go to extinction and we can count them, the dodo birds, the passenger pigeons, the, uh, the holy mammoths and all of that. It, 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 it's not relatable to people. So we thought this story would be able to help um, extinction be more relatable in the context of where we are at these present times, especially with the pressing environmental and climatic issues that are affecting us in these modern times. So we needed to tell a story and he wanted us to tell the story because who knows these rhinos better than us. So we decided, oh yeah, it was just a random idea of, you know, and two boys. And then a few months later, he comes and says, we are doing the film. And um, four um, years later, the film was done. It was back and forth. And, and it's um, beautiful. It's visually beautiful. It's yeah. emotionally impactful. It's just stunning. So yeah. I really hope that people will get a chance yeah, to see this. There, that was, that, that film, it was the final thing for me where it really sunk in. Because like, you know, when I went over there to meet the last two girls, you know, it's, for some reason, I mean, you're there and you're, it, it, I mean, it, for me, it didn't completely sink in that these were the only two left. But when this film, when I saw this, it just, it solidified it. It's it, personal. It, the it film really, makes it so personal. Yeah, it yeah. really hit me last night that this is, this is it. And it's just, it's hard to, to wrap your brain around that. And that's, and that's why this film is so good because, yeah, people, if, you know, if you live over here, you don't see rhinos, so you don't, you you can't relate to it. But this brings it into your home and makes it real. And like James, we we spent the entire day yesterday at the junior high. He spoke to seven classes, and it was just <laughs> that was I. I and heard, when does he get his medal? I mean, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing in and of itself. I just it, it was I heard the same story seven times. But every time I heard something new, and it just, I, I could listen to it over and over and over, because we're, here we are here we for are. number two yeah. on podcast with him, but yeah. And you know, when we, we talked about, Rodney, you, you and I talked about um, the fact that we've had James on, and certainly I heard about your 
experience on your first trip um, to Africa, which just have, has had and continues to have such an emotional impact on you. And then you went back and you met James. And so the stories I'm mostly familiar with right now are your, your experiences going to Africa and the impact there. But when Ronnie and I were talking uh, yesterday, we would love to hear from you, James, um, what some of your experiences have been coming in the other direction, coming from Kenya, and now you're here telling your story, and you're in beautiful Wimberley, Texas, as we like to say, where our, our studio is. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been in the last, is it only four days, hey, five yeah. days? <laughs> I mean, I, I know you've been here in the United States before, but this is the yeah. first time we've had you. So. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um it's the turn of events has really been rewarding, I would say, uh, beginning to when the idea came. It was so random. You know, James, <laughs> we are thinking you can come over. I say, ah. Why not? And then it's like, <laughs> sure. um, a few weeks later, I'm here. Uh, and I have to say this area of town is, uh, is beautiful. Reminds me of hmm. some um, places in Kenya. Hmm. Um, the climate, uh, the, the environment, you know, uh, pretty much is um, in some of, resembles some of the areas in Kenya. Um, Just don't come here in summer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. maybe that'd be better. <laughs> and, um, and, and also, um, I think the culmination of it all is um, the whole ideal of coming, you know, was to share the message, which I think um, has really been gladly accepted, I think, from testimonies and the people we've met and interacted with and we've got to speak to have really been inspired um, and um, have really been uh, triggered to join the conversation because one of the greatest drivers for me anytime I go out and talk is to all of us sit down and have a conversation. I am not an expert. I don't, you know, do all things right for the planet. So he says. But the idea is not, I'm not coming from a point of like, I am to coming to tell everyone what we need to do, but we are coming to have a conversation of what we all need to do. And those conversations have been going on so well. I think um, we've had amazing conversations with people. Um, people have been so much inspired and that is gives me so much joy and so much motivation. And as as well as the hospitality I've been enjoying. Um staying with um with Lodney. Uh and uh yeah, getting engaged with what's goes on around in these beautiful places in, in town. Well talk about, you know, yesterday how you know, I think the thing that James has been the most or the the comments that he's made the most is how fortunate our kids have it here with the mm -hmm. schools compared to you know, tell that story about, you know, you growing up and the struggles with school. And then because when he was telling his story and he's talking to, you know, sixth graders yeah. and every one of them were just locked on him. And the teacher even came up after the first one. She was like, I don't know what it is, but I have never seen these kids pay so much attention. They I mean, they listened to every word he said and, you know, talking about, you know, how lucky and fortunate they are. Yeah, yeah. I think um, yesterday was a great day. As you yeah. know, I'm super passionate about um, talking to young people because of their, you know, they're so malleable in terms of um, 
you know, especially planting these seeds of conservation consciousness. Uh, my grandmother told me once that the best time to bend a tree is when it's young. And so when these, you know, people, are, these children are young, it's easy to tell them what's, what it is about the planet that they need to know and what some of the things they can do to make it better. And I take, I take so much pride in uh, talking to kids. So yesterday was great. Um, and I think going around the school um, really is something that I've done in other places that I've gone and I realize it's a privilege because growing up, I never had it all. Uh, personally, I never attended any college or university to study anything because I could not afford. I could not wear shoes until I was 15 years. I had to leave school at some points to go and work, to even have something to eat. Um, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy growing up. My, you know, sometimes I felt like giving up because then I didn't have it all. And so seeing, especially like when we were driving in, seeing the kids being driven to school, they have <laughs> shoes, they have a beautiful school, man. Like you yeah. don't even step on any dust somewhere. The buildings are unique. They have computers. They have amazing teachers who take good care of them like it's it's a privilege it's a blessing that uh that i really want them to realize it's it's they have so that they can utilize that blessing not for anything but to become the best versions of themselves because the moment they become the best versions of self they'll become important to the community they will also extend that to help others that are in need even in other areas around the world that are less privileged you know i want them to realize they live in a blessed country they have opportunities that they can utilize to work hard and become you know these great people and plant this kind of consciousness in them so that as they're walking around because sometimes when we have it all, sometimes we might not really realize it's a mm -hmm. blessing and we might miss that essence of realizing it and uh, we might end up losing it. So I want them to know that they are lucky that in their age, I had to leave school. I had to go with a ton shot um, around 10 times with patches all over and people would laugh at me and um, would, you know, I would feel so depressed and, and left out. And I want them to realize these opportunities so that then they can work hard. And it's something that I, I am, you know, so boldly to tell them because I know they listen. And you, you could see yesterday when I, when, I, when I told them that, they were like, wow. And they were like, you know, you could see they're, you know, they're feeling it. And when, when that happens, it's, it's not for anything, you know, but it's for them to realize that opportunity is there and they need to use it for the best. You know, one of the <clears throat> unintended takeaways I, I got last night at that, we had a, a, a Q&A after the documentary and you were talking about, I don't know if it was that group of students or some other students and um, sometimes they say, well, just tell us, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And you said, I don't want to tell you what you do because then it limits your imagination about yeah. what you could do. And then you proceeded to tell this, you know, wonderful story. And, you know, that's the first time I've ever heard that kind of thinking, um, which I just think is incredibly uh, affirming about every person's creativity. Mm. So I want to thank you for that. And yes, there is always a specific list of things, you know, that yeah. we all know that we can yeah. sort of know that we can do. But you're giving, you're giving all of us permission 
to creatively come up with whatever works for what suits us and who we are, as you just so eloquently said, the best person that we are. Yeah. So I want to thank you for that because I hadn't expected that particular uh, life lesson. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think uh, it, it narrows down to, for instance, if you on this particular piece of land, um, I I don't have so much to come and tell you how you need to treat that land. It's your property. And my conservation speaking comes from a point of um, the desire to have a global conversation, not coming as an expert. Because if I come on as an expert, I already have answers and I have ways that we should follow and things that we should do to improve the well-being of a planet. And I think this is something that is becoming a mystic. Uh, and I, I, I'm very bold when I'm saying this, especially to conservationists, because we kind of assume this savior mentality that we have all the answers for the planet and we we are the people doing the best to protect the planet and we take shoulder this responsibility and put it on ourselves and other people feel off they feel like it's your job to fix what's going on on the planet because maybe you went into school and you're so proud you have a phd in conservation and whatever that you do for 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 the planet for the animals and all of that and and i feel it it, it puts people away because we will not win this if we don't have everyone on board. And that's why, to me, we need to have a conversation about why the planet is important, why we need to protect our environment. Why is it important the, 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 the environment being a healthy state? It is so that it can support all of us. And by having this kind of thinking and, and reasoning, everyone feels part of it. They don't feel left out. They feel that they are part of the conversation. And I would want to have a conversation with a lawyer. I would want to have a conversation with an engineer. I would want to have a conversation with a pilot. And I would want them to make them feel that they are part of that solution. And that's why I don't have answers. When you ask me what to do, I don't want to close you because I will give you the obvious that we all know. I will say maybe you need to donate. You don't have something maybe to give. I will tell you maybe you need to go. You don't even have time to go and help animals. But maybe there's something you can do right in the doorstep of your house. And if I tell you what to do, I'm kind of closing that imagination. And that imaginative power is what makes us achieve all the things that humans have achieved. And the solutions to what is going on the planet needs all of us to reason about it. That's why I want to inspire people to think about the planet. And then I want to leave them in that state of thinking so that we can have as many solutions as possible to help improve the present conditions on our environment. And that's the kind of the line of thinking. And that's the kind of thing I want to be known for. And that's the kind of thing I want to do because I'm, I'm not an expert in this area. I'm just a citizen of the planet trying to see a better planet for, for me, for those that are in it now and for those that will come in the years to come. So I don't want to own that responsibility. I want it to be our responsibility. And that's why that understanding is what I want to kind of bring across in, uh, in, you know, in any way that I get these speaking engagements and all of that. Rodney, what I love is when you and I first dreamed up this podcast, yeah. you know, 
and let's just go have fun conversations, amazing <laughs> conversations with incredible people um, about why things matter. Um, and it's we've had a lot of those. But you're, you're just the James. You're the most recent and living embodiment in our studio of why conversation about things that matter and places that matter is just so important. I mean, you, you're you not the expert, but you convene these amazing conversations around the world. So, yeah. wow. So, but he, it, 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 James, James is very humble, as you've seen. Yes, yes. You know, he's, he says he's not the expert, but, I mean, it's your knowledge, you... You are you are an expert in your field, and it's just it's so it's so interesting to I mean the the way the way people react to you and listen to you you've you've got that magic thing, and after every class, I mean the kids were coming up and wanting his autograph. I mean he had that big of an impact, and you know when we left, he's like I just you know. They make me feel like I'm somebody. It's like you are somebody, James. I mean, you're you're doing so much for this planet, and you getting out there and spreading this word. I mean, the fact that you came all the way here to you know spread your word. It's just it's it just it still blows me away that I, I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Thank you. Um, so, what else are you going to be doing while you're on our side of the ocean here? What other kind of conversations are going to be happening? Um, so I think um, the events in you know around uh, Wimbali uh, were kind of the key events um, that I was in terms of an engagement. So I think what I'm going to do from here is either we are working on having a school talk in Portland, not confirmed yet. Uh, but then uh, my friends who I organized a Kenyan safari for. Uh, decided that there's no way you can leave, so we need to, you know, give you something back. So they we're, we're starting to, to feel that way too, yeah. aren't we, Ronnie? <laughs> <laughs> they, they planned a trip to go to. It's been Yellowstone, it's been Grand Canyon, and it's not. So they finally decided we are going to Yellowstone, even though it's very cold for a bushman like me. <laughs> so um, we noticed you were bundled up pretty well the other night too. <laughs> I, I thought I was bad. He's worse than I am. <laughs> so we're going there, and then from there. I'm I'm going to stay with a friend of mine uh, in Raleigh uh, for a few days, and then I'll fly from Raleigh back home. You mentioned um, you had organized a safari. Mm -hmm. So could you tell us about that part of your life and your business? And you've been part of the Conservancy, and now you're the global ambassador, but you're also um, organizing and leading safaris. Uh, tell us about that, because... I don't know. Well, if, if anybody's thinking about going, this this is this is the guy yeah. to go with. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let me interject real quick too, because I I've been twice now, and I've spent a total of eight weeks over there, and been to numerous camps, and been with numerous guides. And again, it goes back, you know, to his passion and things, and the way he the way he does it. It's 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 a slower taking your time to really engage with the animals and wait and watch what they're going to do instead of you know there's certain places where they're just you know they're literally chasing the animals and it's just it's not it's not the way to do it this is the guy to to go with cuz he yeah. he he shows the animals the way they're meant you know where it's their the way you know their natural environment and the way you're supposed to see them not i think most 
mostly you're seeing them in a scared state because they're just they're being chased. Yeah. So yeah, if anybody that's going needs to yeah. so ho- tell, hook up with James. I could yeah. say since you've been on this, was it a safari? I mean, was that the the the, the yeah. label of what he was doing? Yeah, there. Yeah, I was going to say, safaris. tell us about, but I think you just did. So uh, well, <laughs> I'll let him elaborate some more. But yeah, I had, yeah, I think uh, um, just to reiterate what um, Rodney has said. I think when I realized I needed that mental break um, from my career as a by the Northern White Hino caretaker, I had this second dream since when I had since when I was young. So as I told you, uh, growing in the neighborhood and coming from a very humble family, um, we had tourists coming across. I'm just giving you a bit of story why mm-hmm. I started my safari oh, yes. company. Um, so we had tracks of tourists going back and forth, Mount Kenya. Mount Kenya is just very close to me. Um, I was just born literally like on the foothills and tourists were passing, going up the mountain and these amazing land cruiser trucks and uh, we would wait for them on the road and stop them and they would give us candies because sometimes we were so hungry and they would give us um, some candies and some uh, change that they had when we would go buy food for the day and I knew when I was like maybe seven around eight years like I really really want to do this at, at some point and um, I, I, I asked I, I remember asking my teacher what it takes to kind of be able to, you know, drive around with two other things like, James, you need to work so well on your English. Um, and I knew I really want to be to find myself in this space one day. So it was a dream that I had since I was very young. And it held with me for so long because there was not right uh, times or I, I think destiny was waiting for this particular time. And so when I realized I needed this mental break, I just now visited this uh, dream. Because when I was a ranger as well, I was organizing trips for people. But when I was free, which was very limited time, because as you know, you're working like 25 days straight and we had five days. But I would save like three months of that time. I had 15 days and then I would have like a trip for 10 days. So I had organized a numerous trips. I was learning the craft of organizing trips and guiding and taking people around. So when I left my caretaking job, I said, now it's time to fully and legally register my travel company. And so I registered my company. It's called Jemu Mwenda Expeditions. Can you spell that, please? Yeah, it's J-E-M-U-M. W-E-N-D-A, Expeditions. And um, over the vast experience I have with talking to guests, because I've been so much involved with talking to guests when they come to a project and taking them around and uh, the role that the Conservancy had given me as the ambassador as well, I realized there was a gap uh, in the tourism sector. I realized there was a big gap because most of the travel companies were selling destinations. And you are told when you come to Kenya, you will see the big five and you are even given a checklist where when you see the big five, you'll check them out. And what uh, are the big five? Uh, the big five were the lions, um, the elephant, the leopard, the buffalo and the rhino. So the kind of, um, you know, people are coming for that. People are coming to tick off these animals. They didn't have time. So the drivers were also pressured to show you the, the big five. So you're coming, you're rushing, you're, you know, you're driving left, right and center. You're missing seeing a beautiful squirrel walking on the ground, which I feel it's a beautiful animal that needs all the attention. And so people wind up in safaris where they're rushed. They want to see the whole country in one week and they end up getting so tired and they end up 
not learning anything about the animal. They just want to have a checklist. And so the checklist, apart from the big five, then there's other animals that you can see on safari. So someone is so keen to make sure they see all the animals. And to me, it was like, this is not okay because we are seeing these animals just for our own gain, just to take them off. And I was imagining, what if we have a safari where we just sit down for three hours watching a baby mama with, you know, a baby, a rhino with a, with a mama, you know, you know, grazing, watch their behaviors, what do they do, how do they communicate, you know. Sit for three hours enjoying a beautiful herd of elephants, walking and living their life and taking time to appreciate these animals and learning what's going on with them and kind of asking ourselves and having these conversations as we enjoy seeing these animals and have a slowed experience where it's more about the animals than it is about hers and ticking them off. And so I decided this is the way I want to go. You know, it's so hard to sell because already people have been into safaris and they kind of want to go the, the way that has been used for years and years. But now it's more about, should be more about experience. You know, what do I go? What do I learn about these animals? What do I learn about my planet? And how do I go home with a better experience? So this is the kind of mantra that I have for my travel company. And I hope um, it's going to take me somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> if people will listen to this podcast, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. certainly will. Do you have a website? How yes. do people find you? Well, we'll be sure to put that on um, our podcast website. And is it, let me guess, Jemu Mwenga? Mwenda. Mwenga yeah. Expeditions. Yeah, it's Mwenda, N-D-A. Mwenda. I knew that. I've got yeah. it up here. I knew that, James. Yeah. Uh, expeditions.com? <laughs> yeah. Or is there something, different extension? In yes. There? If you go to jemuexpeditions.com, you'll find my, my okay. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be sure to um, get that information out there because I, I mean, just to hear you describe that experience makes me want to go. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> this one, uh, what, uh, what, like I said, they, when we went over there, the rhinos, I, I, we had already planned our trip. <clears throat> and I found out about Old Pajetta last minute and we're literally trying to rework our entire thing to just to fit in so we can get at least get a couple days over there. And it ended up being our first two days of the trip. And that's when we met James. And after those two days, I was just like, I don't want to leave here. I wanted, I wanted to stay there with him the whole time. And because like there was, there was that one rhino with the baby and I think we sat there for an hour and a half Yeah, <laughs> and they're just, they're just eating grass, but watch, you know, the bait, just watching their interaction and the, you know, the baby doing its thing. And then out of nowhere, this mother warthog shows up and the baby starts playing with this. And, you know, and if we had pulled up, taken the pictures, all right, what's next? You know, we would have missed that experience. And yeah, and I, I guess you know it's it's probably not for everybody, but I I love that you know like we had a um, this was later on James wasn't with us on this part, but we came up on these uh, a male and female lion, and they, most of the time they were sleeping, but we sat there for three hours just watching them sleep, and every once in a while he'd get up and yawn and do his thing and they reposition and it was just it was so mesmerizing to just be in that moment with them the fact that you know they're so yeah calm and yeah. comfortable with us yeah. being there while they're yeah you know, sleeping and 
So yeah, it just it it really is great to to be able to just sit there and and take it in. But yeah, there there are parts where there were a couple moments where I you know with other guys when I I saw us getting caught up into that, and I would tell him you know we got to go on, let's get away from this because you know like there were there were four cheetahs that were hunting, and there were probably forty trucks just circling while they're trying to do their thing and it just it felt so wrong and so invasive and that's what that's what james does is he gets you with those intimate moments and you know it's not it's not that crazy chaotic thing and and that's the beauty of olpageta too is it's it's a private conservancy right so so it's it's not just anybody can drive in it's you know there are less people there so you're not you know there's not 50 cars you know chasing these animals it's it's just it's just you so i i can yeah yeah, i can't i can't sell them enough (laughs) yeah well i think he sells himself so and and the animals sell him so but it's it's just um to me it's striking to hear such a different approach you know and it reminds me so much of friends that come to visit me in paris and they'd say we get on the bus and they say okay i saw the eiffel tower check they wouldn't even get off the bus i saw the museum d'orsay i said okay i'm done now let's go you know have some yeah. wine i'm like you're kidding right yeah. <laughs> yeah. so okay yeah. we saw the cheetah we saw the. so it's just a wonderfully refreshing approach to what's real i yeah. guess yeah. instead of what's just the industry yeah, um, but I also feel it's you know the opportunity to kind of have conversations, you know, because we had a lot of time to talk about issues. If uh, and that's kind of the kind of nature that I want to have on my safaris. Whether we'll be having one a month or one a year, it's fine. But you know, we want to have an environment where you can have a conversation about what's going on. We are not just there for the animals. And for going and seeing them and, you know, taking and living, we are just there about also having conversations about the same. So that then we can get somewhere in terms of helping these animals. We can get somewhere in terms of understanding why we need to have them, why we need to protect them, why they're very crucial and very important. So it's, 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 that's, that's the driving factor. And that is what we are, I have to say from the industry perspective, that's what kind of missing. Because then... People go for the animals, for the ticking them off, and for the experience. Uh, for, I mean, for the destinations, but not for the experience of soaking into the beauty. And we have so much to learn from animals that we so much miss. Every, I mean, most of the lessons that I've learned in life, I've learned spending time with these animals. You sit quietly, you enjoy. There's so much they can teach us if we allow them to. But then, if we are rushed, we we miss them because. They are not lessons that anyone can grasp. They are lessons that are exhibited in ways that are by those who want to seek that profound connection with the, with the environment and the planet. And that's why to me, I say like, wow, sit with an elephant for two hours, for three hours, lie on with the three hours, like watch them yawn, watch them, you know, what do they do when they asleep? Like enjoy them in that beauty. Just imagine all while they are in and... This is what gonna sparkle the desire to kind of um, revisit and uh, understand some of the things we think we know about the environment. We, you know, we you know establish them again, so that then we can continue creating a better planet, not only for them but also even for us. Well, and that's ultimately the basis of change. Yeah. 
is when an intimate connection has been made with someone or an animal. You just understand what needs to be done and what you want to do in just a very different way than, yes, they're in trouble and, yes, there's a few on the planet. But to have the experiences that you're helping people um, experience, that's how change happens. Yeah. As I know you know, I'm not telling you anything new, <laughs> yeah. but I don't hear many people talking about it yeah. like that. So, well, Ronnie, I'm curious, what's next for you <laughs> with well, our friend James here? Yeah, well, I... We're, we'll definitely have him back at some point. Um, we'll both go the, next time. I, uh, yeah. James invited me last. Well, maybe it was Rick. On. I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we so, should all go. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out when I can get over there as soon as possible. It's just I, you know, Africa had, you know, two years ago was my first time, and it and it is a it is a cost prohibitive trip for most people, and it was why I hadn't gone for so long and I knew that when I went I was going to be in trouble <laughs> and, <laughs> and you were and right I, and yeah, I, the best kind of yeah. trouble right there's a bug <laughs> when it oh, gets you and it goes man, to Africa it's, it's all it's mm. all I think about it just every day <laughs> I just and I and of course you know like on my social media stuff Instagram that's pretty much all I follow now is other photographers and people like James you know and conservationists mm. and what what just and so majority of my feed is is Africa and Kenya. And I just I see this stuff coming across daily. I'm just going, oh, oh. you know, <laughs> I want to be there so bad. So but yeah, it's yeah, two or three weeks just just isn't enough. I need I need a month or two. But. Well, you're doing your own version of inspiring change just by how you talk about it with your photographs. So, you know, James is doing it in one form, but you're certainly doing it here. And so people are really listening mm -hmm. to you yeah, yeah. about Africa. And it's, it's been yes. funny, you know, because it, 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 was, it wasn't my intention at first. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, I, I just wanted to go take great photos. And, yeah, when you get over there and meet people like James and see all this firsthand it just it really it really starts to sink in and it, it really it does change you and it makes you want to be a better person and do more and yeah. i it's it's like this event we did sunday i can't i mean you saw oh you were there yeah. i i can't believe how emotional i got up there talking about all this mm -hmm. it just yeah it just it's all it's it's completely changed my DNA has been rewritten from, <laughs> from all this. Well, I've said that numerous times. There are a lot of ways that could have turned out, so we're really yeah. happy it turned out yeah. this way yeah. for yeah. you. Yeah, and, and it's evident to everybody that, that has known you, um, certainly that meets you, but people who have known you prior to this understand the transformation or at least experience it. So it's, it's very yeah. powerful. I think it comes back to, you know, I think what you mentioned earlier, like... There's a space for everyone. You know, you went and got inspired. Now you're inspiring others. You know, if someone had told you what to do, you would not do it. But you come and sat down and decided, like, I want to do this. I want to bring James here. It's mm. changed. You know, <laughs> Chick, you're here seated. We are on a microphone. We are having a conversation. You are sparkling change. You are doing your part. Your voice facilitating all of this it's what is needed 
it's it's not necessarily going out with a gun and protecting these animals. This conversation is gonna get to people. And it's because you're leading the conversation. You're you're part of this. It's like someone can do something. And that is all now what it comes to is like when you get somewhere do what you can, use what you can, use your microphone if that is what you can do, use your pen if what you can write, if your heart is just draw a heart, sell heart, talk about your heart, talk about the animals using your hand, if you, you know, you can run, just raise for the planet, you know, raise awareness, and there's so much that needs, that can be done, even from the comfort of your place and enjoying what you love doing the most. Yeah, this, yeah, this, I think this goes back to what he was talking about earlier. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know, yeah. you discover you, it. You discover yeah. it. And yeah. that's what the three yeah. of us here are doing. Yeah. We're yeah. just, yeah, no one, no one told us what to do. It just, you get out it, there and it just starts. It just emerged. Yeah. yeah. And then, but we get to listen to that and then act on it if, if we can and mm. if we will, I guess is my yeah. point. Yeah, and that's yeah. that you know, my other thought on all that too is you know, you talk about how being a ranger took such an emotional toll on you and what you were doing was such an amazing thing. But I think where you are now is a better place for you because you do have such a voice and a you, platform. You, yeah. yeah, it's and you were so eloquent with your words that people listen to you and I think you are better served being out and you mm -hmm. know leading these expeditions or coming and hanging out with us yeah we <laughs> like that part we like that part because yeah. sixth, sixth graders i hear are yeah. politicking to keep him too yeah. so yeah it's uh you're using a gift and it's a gift you have and you're helping us use our gifts and that's a that's a wonderful exchange thank you well i don't know ronnie i don't know how it could get any better than this so should we thank James? And I, th I think we've I think we've covered it today. Well, uh, well for today, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we will, but we will continue. We will, we will stay close. We will All stay right. very close. Thank you so much for making the larger trip here, mm -hmm. and thank you for sharing your heart and your wisdom, your deep wisdom, and for um, exposing all of us to opportunities to do our part. Yeah. And we look forward to more of that in our lives. Thank you. Some of it will be on this podcast. <laughs> but it'll definitely, it's, for me, it's a relationship that will continue. And that's yeah. all about what we're talking about. So, Thank you. Helen. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Truly appreciate Finally, good to do it here. I don't know yeah. it yes. <laughs> Although that was a really good connection we had, we still marvel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that. The, the next, but this is so much better. <laughs> the next one won't be from the bush again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would also like to thank um, our senior senior executive producer, yeah. Mr. Brock Glenn Thomas, who uh, is our engineer and producer and uh, keeps us technologically honest and is always there mm. at one one desperate message yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook away. So we want to thank um, Brock. Um, we also want to thank Rupert Neve Design, who has been very generous in offering us some of their world-renowned spectacular equipment. We feel very fortunate about that. We want to thank Donovan Frankenreiter for our intro and our outro music. And we want to thank KWVH, WimberlyValleyRadio.org, who is also broadcasting this podcast live on Wednesdays from 3 to 4 Central Time 
or you can go on their website, uh, wimbledyvalleyradio.org, and find. We're still under passports, please, there, but we're migrating as soon as yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure all that out. Yeah. And you can listen to some of our earlier episodes. You can also find James, our first episode with James, in our archives, along with a lot of other wonderful conversations. So we're very grateful for the conversations that we have here. And until next time. Yeah.